Good morning. It is good to see you guys today. Welcome to the Grove. Uh, if you don't know me, I'll introduce myself. My name is Eric Montoy, Pastor Grove, and we're thrilled you're here. We're in a series that's called Ten Principles. We're walking through the Ten Commandments and the principles behind the Ten Commandments. So we're on week ten. Uh, anybody enjoy this series? Yeah, help helping somebody. I hope so. I hope I hope it's helping somebody. Um, I know for me, one of the things that helped me when I was uh, learning more about the Bible and following Christ is when I began to realize the principle behind the commandments. It began to make sense. The why behind the what. Because for a long time, growing up in church, all I heard was the what. And after a while, the what just didn't sound like a lot of fun. But then when I began to realize the why behind that, I began to say, oh, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. And it's one of the things I try to teach my kids is the why behind what we're asking them to do. So they understand it's not just a command, but there's something that we're trying to lead them to that's better. And I think that's the heart of, uh, of the Bible and the heart of God as he leads us through this, this, uh, this process of life. I want to say welcome all those tuning in online. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're enjoying the service, and we're glad you're with us today. And then everybody in theater, we're glad you're here today. And um, we're going to jump into this part 10, all right? I'll give a little bit of a review, and then we're going to jump into the 10th commandment and what that looks like for us. So we said that the 10 commandments are all about relationship. In fact, I think the whole Bible is summed up to that one word, relationship. It's all about relationship with God and relationship with others. Um, so we said that that's an important thing. So here's the principles that we've gone through so far. Uh, we went through all the different commandments and then said, what is that principle that's really underlying that's there? And so week one, uh, having no other gods was the, was the principle of priority. Week two is the principle of purity, no idols. Uh, week three is humility, not taking God's name in vain. Week four was the, the principle of rest, having a Sabbath day. Uh, you rhythm of six days on, one day off, so important. Uh, principle five was about honor, honor your father and mother, and then it'll go well with you and, and things you have a long life. Uh, if you're going to have a life a long life, you should hope that it goes well with you. Uh, principle six, love. Uh, it's the principle of love. Um, principle seven, the principle of intimacy, not having to commit adultery. Principle eight, the principle of trust, not lying. And then last week, we probably talked about the principle of honesty. Um, and we said that that's, that's important. So uh, the principle of honesty was not have, bearing false witness against your, your neighbor, lying. And so we said this, be honest with yourself, be honest with others, and be honest with God. Um, those are the, the main things that we wanted to focus on last week because you learn to be honest with yourself, learn to be honest with others, and learn to be honest with God. God already knows, and that was last week. And we said when it comes to speaking, because uh, being honest and, um, and being real with our lives, it has to do with speaking. But I would include texting, and I would include social media, typing on a computer. Um, this is what we said. Think before you speak or before you share. Is it true? Uh, will it help? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Uh, if you would just use that filter before you said things, uh, you, would, you would have a lot more uh, healthy conversations and you would be a healthy person because you would really gauge what I'm about to say. Is this going to add value to somebody or is it going to tear down and take away from somebody's life? Um, so over and over throughout this whole series, I've said this, something very similar to this. I said that trust is the foundation for healthy relationships. You have to have trust if you're going to have a healthy relationship. Uh, trust is so key when it comes to relationships uh, that, that it's important. And so every week, I've, I've, almost every week, I pointed out that, that when it comes to the Ten Commandments and the principles, it's trying to build trust between us and God and that we can trust God and that he can trust us. And it's also trying to build trust between us and other people. So that's one of the key things that, that God is trying to produce this whole process of us following his lead is saying, God, I, I want to be the kind of person that's trustworthy and I, I want to be able to know that I can trust you. And what's amazing is you trust God. The more and more you trust God, the more and more you realize he's trustworthy and you can trust him with everything. And so today we're going to talk about this and I, this, this principle today we're talking about, it also points to trust. And a big factor is trusting God uh, for what you have and what you don't have and just trusting him for the journey that he'll help you when you need it. And so today has to do with, has, also has to do with trust. And we're going to be talking about a word that we don't really use in our culture nowadays. Uh, days. It's, uh, 
word that's not very that doesn't like is not in, in use a lot, uh, but it's it's very relevant. The idea and the principle behind it is very relevant because of what we face every single day. In fact, I think culture actually makes what we're going to talk about really difficult at times because we grow up hearing that we can do anything and be anything. And I know the heart behind that is a good thing to encourage people to strive and do well. But there's a, a part of that where it can be misleading, where we assume that um, it can create um, uh, intent, um, it can create entitlement into people, thinking that just because they think it or just think they think they can get there, they should have it. It should be theirs. Um, that's not always the case. A lot of times, what we want, yeah, we might be able to get there, but it doesn't take a lot of work. It doesn't just come easy. You don't just receive it overnight. And in some cases, there's some things we can't ever do. No matter how bad you want them, it wouldn't be good for you or you're, it's not possible to attain and have a healthy view of life. And so today we're going to talk about, uh, uh, well, let me, let me show you the commandment. Exodus 20, 17, it's the 10th commandment. It says this, you must not covet your neighbor's house. Um, you must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So it kind of covers everything there, right? Anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Uh, something that doesn't belong to you, don't covet it. In Deuteronomy, it, it repeats the law. It says you must not, it starts with your with the neighbor's wife. It says you must not cover your neighbor's wife. You must not set your desire on the things they own, like servants or houses or property. And it says ox or donkey. That would just, ox would be wealth, uh, what, what, what they have, the possessions. And donkeys would be transportation, right? So in our culture, that'd be like, you know, the nice uh, Lexus, uh, or my, my case, the Tesla driving by you, you know. Don't covet what you don't have. Um, and we're going to talk about that, what, what that means. And so coveting just means a strong desire. Uh, now, there's a good strong desire that I think God wants us to have. But in this case, it's talking about a negative, a strong desire that's a negative that would want you to want something that belongs to somebody else in the sense that you can't have it. In this case, he says a neighbor's wife. Like they're already married. You shouldn't desire, strongly desire somebody else's spouse um, because it would, it would just want to cause damage in, in your life and damage in that relationship and your relationship with God. Uh, so it's not having, it's have, not desiring what somebody else has or you, sh- you can't have or shouldn't have. So here's the principle behind that commandment. All right, so the 10th commandment is I should not covet. And we shorten it down to that. It, the, the principle is contentment. The principle of contentment. Everybody say contentment. Contentment. Um, contentment is, it, it means to be satisfied. Uh, the first phrase I learned in Spanish growing up, um, my grandparents love this, and they would tell me to tell everybody all the time. I would say, panza llena, corazón contento. And, and I was a little kid, and they'd be like, say it again, tell my friends. Panza llena, corazón contento. Hey, yeah, it's so cute, say it again. So if you don't speak Spanish, let me tell you what that means, all right? Panza llena means full stomach, and corazón contento means a content heart or a happy heart. Um, it's, it's a full stomach and a happy heart. So after I would eat, you know, I'd be this little boy that says, I got a full stomach and a happy heart. And, and they loved it. And uh, that was the first phrase I remember learning as a kid. And we'll still tell our kids that uh, because sometimes they'll say things like I'm starving or whatever. And we'll walk them through the whole process of, no, you're really not. You're starving. You're just a few hours late for eating. It's okay. You're not going to die. Um, but what I, what I love in the, in the Spanish language is when somebody asks you, you know, have you eaten enough? Or, uh, um, are you, we say in English, you say, have you eaten enough? And we say, yeah, I'm full. Um, in the Spanish culture, and I'm sure other languages do this also, but they say, I'm satisfied. Such as fecho. Like, I'm, I'm satisfied with what I have, like what I've just ate. Like my, I'm, I'm satisfied. That's good. I'm satisfied. I think this is the idea of contentment, is just being satisfied, is being happy and satisfied with what you have. Uh, here's the challenge for our culture is we sometimes think that what we have is not enough and there's more out there we should be always striving for and always chasing. Now, there's a good desire for more. I'm not saying settle. Being content doesn't mean you're settling for less than or just being like, well, I guess it's all I'm going to get. I'm never going to try for anything. It's not that. It's saying be aware of what's in your hands and don't just focus on what's not in your hands at the moment. 
uh, discon- uh, um, not being satisfied or coveting would want something that's not yours, somebody else, and that causes you to only focus on that where you miss this. Does that make sense? So coveting is putting your attention away from what you do have to what you don't have and to the point of where you want to do everything it takes to get, to get that, and that's a negative. Um, contentment and coveting, um, this would be one of, those, one of those commandments where we think, really, do, do you think that's a big deal for us in our culture? I would say, yes, it's a huge deal. And in the Bible, uh, it even says um, coveting, it lists all these sins, and coveting is right in the middle of those sins that you would not want it said of you, and that is one of the sins that are in Ephesians and Colossians. You can go, go uh, read it. It's on two lists that are not good lists, and it says, uh, don't be found having these things. In fact, Paul says it was this commandment that actually convicted him of sin. In Romans, he says, uh, when I realized that I was coveting, that I realized then at that moment, even as a religious person who was trying to practice all these things, that I was still a man in need of grace. And he said, it's because of coveting and wanting more than what I have. Sometimes that's fame. Sometimes it's, it's uh, for, fortune. Sometimes it's prestige. Uh, it could be those things that we're, we're wanting all that, but we're neglecting what's in front of us. And Paul says that convicts us of it. So in our culture, let me just give you some stats. All right, 70% of 18 to 24-year-olds define success in terms of wealth and career. So if you ask a young person, well, how would you define success? It would be in terms of wealth or the job they have, the career they have. Uh, which that's not those, those two things aren't bad. We should desire wealth. We should desire good careers. Uh, but the problem is, is that nearly, two, nearly two-thirds of all young people feel under pressure to succeed, which means they have this idea that if they're going to be successful, they have to have a lot of wealth, and they have to have a, a, a lucrative career that, if that's going to make them successful. In our culture, that's how we kind of are pushed towards it. In fact, uh, John D. Rockefeller, at one time the richest man in the world, um, he learned this, this, this uh, reality of, of covetousness and, and, and greed, and, they, and this is how he summed it up. Right, somebody asked him, how much money does it take for a person to really be satisfied? How much money, John D. Rockefeller, does it take for a person to really be satisfied? And his reply was this, just a little bit more. Richest man in the world, he understood what money does to us. Well, how much does it take to really be satisfied? Just a little bit more. In fact, they surveyed all these different brackets of people who made money they said are you wealthy and they said no what would it take for you to be wealthy and they would add another fifty thousand dollars and they started like in the you know really small and they those people said no i'm not wealthy it would take this much more and then they asked the next group of people are you wealthy and they says no i would have to have this much more and they got into hundreds of thousands they said are you wealthy no what does it take to be wealthy i'd have to have this much more and the more they went up the the line of how much people had the answer kept being the same, like, no, I don't consider myself wealthy until I have this much more. It's kind of like a, a finish line that doesn't exist. As soon as you get there, it moves on, or, or the horizon. You guys ever chase the horizon? You know, like, I'm going to walk to the horizon right there. And as soon as you walk to that horizon, what happens? There's a new horizon. And this is what happens in our life. If, if we focus on the wrong things, we'll always be chasing the next horizon. And, and wanting good things is not bad. That's not the point. It's, it's, it's when those consume us, and all we want is more and more, we forget what's in front of us. Um, German philosopher Schopenhauer said it like this Coveting is like, this, like seawater The more we drink, the thirstier we become This idea that well, the more greed we have The more we want, the more we want It's like we're drinking the seawater We're never, ever satisfied Because covetousness always promises content and fulfillment But it can never satisfy In fact, it's an illusion And I think it does the opposite It makes us dissatisfied and discontent which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so it, it never pr- produces the fame or the riches. The, the, the promise of those never deliver what, the content, uh, being content or being satisfied the way we think they will. Um, it, it traps us. It becomes a trap. 
Um, covetousness is deceitful. It says that um, we begin to desire things, people, lifestyles, and fame, and we think once we get those things, we'll be satisfied, but it doesn't happen. We have sayings like this in culture, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. You've heard that? Like people look around like, man, that, they have really nice grass. Like, man, I, I want grass like that. Um, and we get stuck comparing what we have. Like, My grass is brown. Like, I don't even have grass. I have gravel. <laughs> Goat heads, uh, dirt, right? We're in New Mexico. So it's, uh, we don't even have some areas we don't have grass because it won't grow. It would be too expensive to have that. But we begin to look and think, everybody else has something more that I wish I had, but I don't. Um, and here's the thing is, is the, the truth is we all want what we haven't got. That's just that if we would be honest with ourselves and say, there's something in my life where I recognize that I always want what I have not got. Would anybody be honest with me and say, yeah, that's, that's my, sometimes in my life it's like that. Um, hopefully today we'll realize like that, that we have to be careful of that because that can mislead us and can lead us away from God's best. And we find ourselves living in the wrong place. Um, and it's only bad uh, when, when uh, it's something we can't have. Just remember that. Uh, Luke twelve fifteen. Uh, a man came to Jesus and said, Teacher, would you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? Have, have him split it. And Jesus says, I'm not your judge. Like, I'm, not your, I'm, not, I'm not here for that. And he tells them, this is the statement he makes. Jesus says to them, take heed, the crowd, take heed and beware of covetousness. Beware of this, all right? Always wanting something you don't have. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. I need so to be a really good, if you ever want to memorize a verse that's in the Bible, this would be a good one for us that live in America. Uh, because sometimes we don't realize how blessed, how wealthy, how well off we are. Um, if you ask the poorest of the poor in the world, what would it take for you to be happy or satisfied or wealthy? They would mention things that you have in your house, like running water, food in the pantry, um, a nice bed, right? Everything I just listed there, you're like, I have all those things. Yeah, exactly. And the poorest of the poor would say, that's what it would take for me to really have comfort and have, have a good life. And we have all that stuff. Um, so I would say this is a good one for us. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Your life does not consist of the things that you possess. There's something more. Jesus is saying there's something more to life than just the things that we buy, the things that we attain, which is so contrary to a lot of the messages we get in our culture, right? It's all about what you, what you wear, the, the, the brands, uh, the cars you drive, the house you, you live in. It's all about that. And Jesus says that life is more than that. It doesn't just consist in that. In fact, he tells a story right after this to drive the point home. And in this story, it's the only story Jesus told that somebody did something so awful that God came that night and said, your life is required of you tonight. Come and give an account. Here's the story he told. He said there was a man, um, a ground of a certain rich man. It had it yielded a, a, an abundant harvest. It's a lot of fruit, a lot of crop. Uh, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain to lay up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So he's saying this is what happens to people who are rich materially, uh, with material possessions, but they're poor in relationship with God. He's saying, you're, you're missing the point. And so after he says, one's life is not consistent in buns of, of things we possess, he tells a story about a man. Here's the context. In that, in that time, when Jesus is telling the story, there would have been, majority of the people would have been poor, not knowing where the next meal is going to come from. And in this story, he tells a man who, who's so rich, he already has big barns, but he has such a great harvest of, of, of grain that he says, I'm going to tear down those barns, build bigger ones, so I could have even more. And the idea is he neglects other things that are all around him, like the poor and the needs. 
and how, not using his life for other things but just for himself. And in the story, God is saying, don't, don't miss the point. Life is not just about what you can accumulate. There's, there's so much more about it. Remember, if Bible's about relationships. He's saying there's so much more to this life than what, than what we can just gather and hold from ourselves. So here's the thing. I've heard it said like this. Everybody, everybody, you included, you, you and I both, we all live in one of two tents, all right? Thus, the two tents up here. You're like wondering, where is this going? Is he preparing us for summer? We can't, we can't go up to the mountains to camp, so I guess we're in camp in the theater. Um, we all live in one of two tents, all right? Coveting takes us away from what we don't have, um, from what we have, and it focuses on what we don't have. Uh, and, and so here's, here's the thing. Uh, the two tents is what they represent, all right? The first tent, this would be the tent of contentment, all right? So we have content, and we have discontent. You're like, wow, that's brilliant. This guy is so amazing. I know. Hang with me. So content, and what's this? All right. So today at this moment, you're living in one of these two tents in life. And at any given moment, you'll flip back and forth. Like, isn't it so easy to get on social media and start scrolling and be like, you're like content with your car. And then like, what? My neighbor just got a brand new 2000 and what's what, next year? 19, right? 2019, whatever. You're like, man, you get in this town, all of a sudden you're like comparing. You're looking, you forget what you do have. and You begin to look beyond the horizon, like what they have. At any given moment, we're living in one of these two tents. At night, you're laying in bed, you're thinking about life, you're in one of these two tents. Which tent are you in right now? You know, it's been said that people can be divided up in three groups. Uh, the people that have, the people that don't have, and the people who have not paid for what they have. Three groups, right? In our culture, it's like that commercial. You see that commercial with the guy smiling, he's driving his lawnmower, he's so happy. He's like, please help me. Somebody save me. Like, I am drowning in debt to pay for this house and pay for this pool and pay for this car and all this stuff. And, and all his neighbors are doing the same thing, right? They're like these nice yards. And the idea is he's chasing the Joneses. He's trying to keep up. He's trying to get everything he can. And, and he's smiling because he's trying to put on the face. But really he's saying, man, I'm so overwhelmed because I, I, I took on too much. Uh, in our culture, that's sometimes what, ha- what happens. We live in the, the, the land of discontent. And, dis- and contentment, when you add that, man, it's just it's a state of something. So contentment means you're in the state of being content. Discontentment would be you're in the state of being discontent. So are you content or are you discontent? Now, here's the truth is um, you can't find contentment. If you can't find contentment without it, you'll never find contentment with it. If you're not content with $100 in your bank account, you won't be content if there's 1000 Promise. Like if you can't find the joy in what you, what, being, being, enjoying what you do have, when you get what you thought you wish you had, it's going to be the same thing. Because as soon as a thousand, you'll be like, "Man, I really wish I had ten thousand. And your bank account, and you're like, "Man, you're not content with ten thousand. As soon as it's going to be a hundred thousand, it's going to be a million. It's going to just move on and on and on, and you'll never be content. But in fact, if we, when you live in the, in the tent of contentment, right, coming here, it's that moment where you're laying in bed and you're just thinking, "Man, this is, this is a nice tent. I'm not even focused on the tent next to me. It's bigger and nicer and has more features, like that food in there." Got, my nice water here and i got a nice you know place to not get eaten by mosquitoes it's a good thing and you focus on what you have you begin to realize that life is pretty good but as soon as you stick your head out the tent you start looking around like man i really wish i had you move into the land of discontentment and what you do have even though it's bigger and nicer you still are not content ever and i think the principle behind the tenth commandment is god is saying learn to be content 
learn to trust me. There's only a few reasons we wouldn't have something. Um, one, because it would hurt us if we had it, and God knows that. So God hasn't given me a million dollars because I'm not ready for it. I haven't been a good steward, maybe what I had right now. So why would he give me more? Because it would just only do more damage. Um, maybe I'm not supposed to have it because it's somebody else's, and because it belongs to them, I, I shouldn't want it. Or I haven't asked God for it. I haven't prayed and said, God, is this something you want? And we're going to talk about what that means. Let me show you a video. I think it will give you a great picture of what uh, covetousness does to us. Coveting takes our focus away from what we already have to what we don't have and leaves us in a guaranteed permanent state of being discontent. So coveting, it takes our focus away from what we do have and it makes us focus on what we don't have and it leaves us in a permanent state of being discontent. This is what coveting does for us. This is why God says don't covet. All right? it's, it's, don't desire good things. He's saying don't desire things that you shouldn't have at this moment. Learn to trust me in these things. Um, just think about this. Take a few moments. Um, think about what you do have. What are all the things that you have? Begin a list. And I bet you before five minutes, you'd be able to list maybe a thousand things that you have that you could be thankful for. Add a little more time, but you could find 10,000 things you could be thankful for. Think, no, I don't have that much. No, you do. You do. The air. Hey, we live in Santa Fe. It's one of the cleanest airs in the world. You know that? It's amazing. We could breathe in the clean air. Beautiful views. And I woke up to an amazing family. My wife, my kids, right? I have four kids. I can add on those four. Um, they're, they're, I just go down the list. I, I slept in the bed. Uh, they had clean sheets. That was nice. It was a pillow. That was really nice. I had a swamp cooler on, so the air it was a little cool in my house. It was man, cool air to sleep in. Like you just began to go on the list. I, I had to. I was able to drive a vehicle here, not have to run or walk, right? Like I, and you begin to just go down this list of all the things that you have. You begin to realize, oh wow, I actually have a lot of things. See, coveting makes us long for more. In contrast, thankfulness begins to see what we already have. To recognize, like, we have this. It's, it's important to not miss what's in front of us. Yeah, it's not bad to desire things, but don't miss what's in front of you. Because if you're always focused on that, you miss this. And before you realize, you wake up and you, you spent all your life worrying about something else. It's like the, you heard the saying, the man who had no shoes, he complained about having no shoes. Until he met a man who had no feet. And he realized, wow, I have feet. Um, I have a, uh, my brother-in-law on Facebook, he posted a while back. He says, uh, just imagine that you... Um, you woke up tomorrow, and all you had was everything that you gave thanks to God for today. Like, what would you have in life if you, everything you gave thanks to God for today is what you woke up with tomorrow? Because you're thankful because you're aware of it. I, was, I read that quote, and I was like, oh, wow. I don't think I've thanked God for anything today yet. And I began to think, like, man, thank you for, for health. Thank you for family. Thank you for – I began to think, like, man, if I was left with everything, only the things I thank God for, like, I should really be thankful for a lot more things in my life. Just a great thought to think about. Uh, J. John says this, uh, we might not turn all our desires into actions, but all of our actions are the results of our desires. First commandment, tenth commandment, the book ends. Both have to do with the heart. The other eight have to do with our actions. I think it's very intentional that God did this. He said you have to guard your heart. In the beginning, in the end, in the middle, you have to guard your heart because um, not every desire is going to turn into action. But every action you've ever done is started with a desire. Guard your desires. Pay attention to what you desire. Because if you're not careful and they're misplaced, it could lead you to something else. Look at David. David, he sinned with Bathsheba, which is somebody else's wife. He had an affair. It all started with a strong desire. And it, it caused him to break almost all of the commandments to try to hide this one sin. Why? Because of the desire. He desired something that wasn't his. He went after it to get it. it messed everything up. 
Um, every theft, think about this, every theft starts with someone's desire to have something that they have no right to. Every theft starts with a desire that leads to something. Uh, once we recognize that place for desire in our actions, and once we begin to deal with the under, underlying uh, things underneath the surface, um, we begin to, to figure out exactly why we act the way we do. This is, I think, why coveting is so important. We think about and, and being content is because we're saying, I have to have the right heart in this or I'll miss what's in front of me. If I don't have the right heart, I will miss it. And here's, here's what I always say is, is when you don't have, if you don't live by principle, you'll live by pressure. And in our lives, what happens is people choose pressure of not having and having to perform for people that they don't even know and buying things that they don't even really need to impress people they don't even like. And they get stuck in this, this, this pattern because they're living by pressure where God is saying, if you'll be a person that lives by uh, principle, by priorities, you'll be able to live in a, in, a, in a place that you can be content. Uh, I was talking to one of our team members. They were just telling me about their, um, their, uh, their, their how do I say this, the process of, of, of purchasing something now at this stage in their life compared to when they were younger. And they said, at this stage, it's amazing that when you follow God's plan and do what he wants, you can, you can go and you can live in peace because you know he's, he's helping you along the way. Where in the past, when they bought things, it was because of this, because they wanted more, not because they needed it or because they were being good stewards. And the difference is you, you lay in this tent at night and you sleep hard and you're not concerned about what everybody else has. But when you live in this tent, you're always wondering what everybody else has and what you're missing out on. And it keeps you up more at night because you're worried like what you're missing, missing out on. Um, they did a survey and they, 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 through, for, for women who scroll through Instagram. Um, this is one of our challenges when it comes to coveting is as we stroll through Instagram, uh, they, they did a study and they found that the women, women who scroll through Instagram more, like, like there's two groups, uh, they, they found that the more they scroll, the, the less they like their own body. And the less they like their own body, body I thought this was interesting, the less they're, they're actually willing to exercise and do something about it. It's like there's a point where uh, they're, they're not content with what they have, they want something different, something more, that it even leads them to a place where they're stuck to even improve. And they spend their whole time just scrolling rather than maybe getting up and do something about it. Um, social media is like this. When we begin to scroll through, and here's the thing. There's some great things about social media. Not all of it's bad, but a lot of it is it's, 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 um, it's staged, right? You're showing the highlights. Like I post pictures of the moments that we were doing something great, and I want people to celebrate and say, man, that was, that's cool. I want to do stuff like that too. But I never post moments where I'm um, depressed or, or down, right? Nobody posts pictures of their hair all crazy and food and stuff on their face, right? Like maybe it's a few people, but most people don't. It's all the highlights. It's all what's, what we want everybody else to see. It's, it's posed. Um, and the danger in that is we begin to think like, man, their life is so, so awesome. Like, I wish I had that life. And then we see the grass and we think it's, it's greener. Well, here's the truth. The grass is always greener where you water it. In relationships. If somebody else's relationships look better than yours, it might be posed or they might be watering their grass a lot. And maybe the answer is not trying to get a new relationship. It's Maybe you need to start watering your relationship. Maybe somebody else's bank account seems stacked and really big, and you think, man, I wish I had that bank account. Maybe the answer is not wanting what they have, but maybe watering and working a little harder in your own life so that you can save and you can, you can get to that place, right? Some places, and when we water, some places cost more than others. Um, so don't, don't – I, I thought about this. Um, when I became uh, the, the lead pastor of the Grove, I used to work for other pastors, other leaders. You know, I was never – this is the first time I'm the boss, right, the leader – uh, out in front, and I used to think when I'm in their role, like, man, this can be so good, all these things I can do, and then 
Um, I got in this role, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is nothing like I thought it was going to be. I mean, there's a lot of cool things about it, but there's these other things that I stay up late at night sometimes thinking about things that, that I never thought about when I wasn't the boss. And, and I always desired, you know, the shoes that others wa- walked in until now I realize, wow, those shoes they walked in, they're really expensive shoes, and they take a lot of work to maintain. So you want other people's shoes, but we don't understand the cost and sometimes the work it takes to get those things. And if you knew, I bet you might not even want them. You're like, forget that. I don't want that because, you know, it wouldn't be good for you and it probably hurts you. So we have to learn to trust God and say, God, the shoes you have for me now, I want to trust you in that. If you're leading me something bigger, something better, that's great. Lead me, but help prepare me so that I can handle those. I can handle the weight. I can handle what's uh, ahead of me. Um, just start watering. Uh, Adam and Eve, it's interesting that as we've gone through these Ten Commandments, a lot of these the commandments, when we talk through them, they point back to Adam and Eve, right? So last week we were talking about lying, and the enemy used deceit and lies to get Adam and Eve to sin. They had to steal. Talk about not stealing. Um, they, they, had to, they had to go through this whole process of, of, of being, being tricked in, in, into choosing something that wasn't theirs. And this whole thing about coveting, this is the very thing the enemy used for Adam and Eve. God said, all the trees you can have, this one reserved for me, don't touch that one. And what did the enemy do? He said, hey, Eve, see that tree? Man, if you eat of it, like you're going to become like God. So essentially he's saying you should, and it says the tree looked good, uh, good for fruit. It looked desirable, and it looked like it would like, like be, be something she should do. Three things, and she went after it. Essentially what he did is he made her covet what she didn't have, what she knew she shouldn't have. And she began to chase after that, and it led to separation from God. It led to uh, poor con- bad consequences in her life. But he caused her to covet, which in the heart means being to desire something that we don't want. And covetousness, it causes us to resent God. It actually made her think, God is holding back something from me that should be mine. Like, why don't I have that? Like, I work hard. Like, why, why, man, I, I, I should have a car like that. I should have a house like that. I should have a spouse like that. I wish my spouse was like that. And then you realize really what they are, and you're like, man, I'm pretty glad that I, I have the spouse I do have because that's pretty rough. It's, it always it seems like something's better, but in this case, he's saying the, the enemy caused her to begin to resent God. And if we're not careful, careful coveting, things that are ours, they'll cause us to resent God. And we begin to think, man, if I only had a bigger tent, man, if I only had more food, if I only had more whatever, and we begin to think that God is actually holding something good from us back. Or he's probably saying, you're not ready for this. Or I've given you more than enough. You're just not managing it very well. Why would I give you more? Learn to manage what you do have, and you'll see that they'll be given more to you. I would say it like this. The fruit we are eating is always the best fruit of all. If you know what the best fruit is, it's the fruit you're currently eating. The fruit that you're eating is the best. In my life, my wife, she's the standard for what I think is beauty and amazing. It's easy for me to say, man, I, I, I have what I want because she's the standard. I'm saying I'm content. God, you've blessed me with an amazing, an amazing spouse, an amazing uh, wife. I become content. I don't have to be searching for others and looking everywhere because I'm saying this is my standard. I have what I have. It's good. And in some cases, when you're maybe you're in a relationship that's not healthy, um, if you seek God and you're true to your word and you keep, keep doing what you're doing, he'll help that get better. He'll improve it. If not, he'll remove that person. It's a great story in the Bible. You should read about David and how uh, this lady had a horrible husband. And he killed the husband and gave uh, her to David as a, as a wife. Pretty cool story because God honors people who do what's right. Um, coveting causes us to do what Adam and Eve did, to push God off the throne and to put ourselves there, to think we know better. And here's, here's the moment that we need to live in. Is, is we're living in two, one of two tents, content uh, or discontent. 
It's at the oars when we have that thought, I wish I had. We, we either go in this direction to saying, man, I, I'm going to start thinking about this more. Or we say, man, that looks really nice. God, would that be something good for me? This is wisdom. This is the relationship God wants us to have as we begin to say, all right, is this something I should have? Should I consider this? Is this something you put in me? Is this something you want me to have? And he begins to answer us yes or no. We, we move with him. Um, James 4, 1 through 2 says, you murder, you covet. And you can't obtain. You fight and you are, yet you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, your motives are all wrong, so God doesn't give it to you. This is the moment where, where, where James is saying, learn to ask God with the right motives. Guard your heart. Ask God for the right motives. Is this something you want for my life? When he says, yes, move in it. Go forward. It's an amazing thing. It's about relationship. It's about trusting God with our lives. Um, Matthew 19. Let me tell you, uh, show you where, where Jesus talks about... Um, about this idea of, of, of being content and missing, missing what God has for you. Um, Matthew nineteen sixteen it says this. It's called the, the rich young ruler. All right? It says, someone came to Jesus with a question. He said, teacher, what good, must de- what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Said, Jesus, what, what, what do I have to do to have eternal life? What, what's that good deed? What's, what's that thing that I really need to do? And he says, why ask me about good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer the question, I will, I will, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments says, okay, that's fair enough, because in the Bible there's a lot of commandments. If you read through, you begin to see there's tons of them. So he says, which ones? Like, which ones? What, which good deeds? What ones are you asking me to keep? So Jesus replies, you must not murder. So that's the sixth commandment. You must not commit adultery, the seventh. You must not steal, the eighth. You must not testify falsely. We talked about it last week. That's the ninth. And then he jumps back to the fifth. Honor your father and mother, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So he, out of the ten, he lists five and he adds another commandment that's found in Deuteronomy, loving your neighbors yourself, which we'll talk about next week. Um, he says, keep, keep these. So the, the man says, I've obeyed all these commandments. Um, what else must I do? So Jesus, um, he gave a hint here. All right? Why would he list all of the, the last ones but leave out ten? Why would he say all of these but you don't have to keep this one? I, I think it's a very intentional. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's trying to lead somebody to truth. This is what he's trying to do with all the time. He's trying to help us to discover something so we get it and we wake up to it. But the man doesn't get it. So he says this. All right, what else must I do? I've kept all those, and I'm sure the man was being honest. But here's the thing. He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So Jesus is pointing at something in the heart of the man, an issue that the man had. And what was it? Greed. It was, being covet- it was coveting, wanting more and more. And the man wanted to be justified. He wanted Jesus to say, hey, what you're doing is awesome. Just keep following those commandments. You can ignore other ones. Jesus says, no. There's a, a greater issue going on here because a, a man's life does not consist in all the possessions that we have. There's something more to it, right? He's already said that. So he's saying there's something more. If you'll let go of everything that you think is so dear and give to others and care for others and trust me on this journey, then you'll really become rich in my kingdom. You'll really see what it's all about because the man had an issue of living in the wrong tent. And Jesus' heart was saying, you're in the wrong tent. If you'll learn to give away, it'll break, because um, generosity always breaks greed. It always breaks coveting, to, coveting others, because we begin to realize, wow, there's more joy in giving than there is just holding on to. He says, go and give it all away. And then you'll find yourself in this other tent where you realize, wow, life is pretty good. And here's the principle that God always does in the Bible. When we're faithful with what God gives us, he always gives us more. And I think in this case, if the man would have listened to Jesus and said, I'll sell it all, I'll give it all, I'll follow you. I think God would have said, you've done a good job. I can trust you with a little bit, so I'm going to give you real treasure. 
And real treasure is people. Real treasure is opportunity to influence others, not just having possessions. And I think God would have given this man even more than he ever thought possible if he would have just trusted him. But the little that he had, he thought, man, I can't give this away because then it just it puts me in something less than I thought. And it says the man went away sad. When the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions, which really means that the possessions had him. He didn't have them. They had him because he wasn't able to let go of them. And he goes on and Jesus says this to the disciples, I tell you the truth. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded and they said, who then, who in the world then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. For us, we do it on our own, it's impossible. But with God, we begin to say, God, I want to be, learn to fall, trust you in all things. I want to be content. Because here's the thing about God. God wants you to love people and use things. But covetousness, it causes us to love things and use people. And when you get those backwards, you miss the point of life. Because now you're just about gathering and wanting more. And so God is saying, learn to be generous with your life. Learn to be generous with your time, with the, with the resources he gives you. And when you're faithful and you do it his way, you'll begin to find that you're rich towards God. And that's more important than being rich with a, with a, with a big bank account. Because he's going to lead you to be the kind of person he wants you to have. Um, it's, 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 things are temporary they're not real riches. That's what the Bible's saying. These things you have, they're just temporary. In this tent, I can sleep in peace, but I know this is just temporary. And if I'm faithful and I'm good with what God's given me, he might upgrade me one day. But if he doesn't, man, he knows what I need. And I can keep doing what he wants me to do because I'm trusting him. Psalm 37.4 says this, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Another translation says, Delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Um, Throughout this whole, I would, I would challenge you to go read it. It's, it's David talking about, he's looking at the wicked, and he's looking around thinking, man, they're, they're not even trying, they're succeeding. It's so easy for them. And God is saying, no, David, just trust me. Trust me in this life. Trust me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself. Like, being content is delighting yourself in what you have, not focusing on what you don't have. And God is saying, when you do this, you'll begin to see that I'll help you actually get the right desires. This is what it means. It doesn't mean that whatever you desire, he's going to give you. It actually means as you trust him, he's going to put the right desires in you. And as they're in you, then God says, you got it. Now you have the right heart. You have the right um, motives. I'm going to give you that nice truck or that nice whatever because you can, you can manage it now. You can take it. It doesn't have you. You have it. And God is saying, pay attention. Don't miss out. Uh, Paul, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether I'm hungry or I'm fed, whether I'm living with a lot or I'm living in want. I know the secret. What is it? He knows that God has, it, has more for him. He knows that everything he has is a gift from God. There's no reason in pursuing something that God doesn't want us to have because it will only hurt us. It will only do damage to us. We learn to say, God, I trust you in this. So here's our challenge. Wrap up today's message. Our challenge is this. Would you choose to live in the right tent? For me, literally, it is the right tent because it's on my right. All right? For you, you've got to pay attention because it might be on your left or it might be in front of you, it might be behind you. But choose to live in the right tent. And that would be the tent that is the, the land of contentment. Choose to live in the state of contentment. Today, I would, I would encourage you and challenge you this week. Would you begin to just think, look around and say, God, you've blessed me with a lot. Like, I want these things. I'm scrolling through and I'm seeing these cool things. And, man, I really want a, a jet ski or a boat, whatever. It's not bad, but, God, man, help me to be a person that can manage that, that can be a good steward of that. Or, God, would you rather help me? Would you rather me start schools or, 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 or feed orphans or feed whatever? 
And when we trust God, he'll begin to lead us to the places that we'll find the most fulfillment. And you'll realize, like, okay, that nice thing I really want, actually God is saying, do this. And at some point, when we do what he wants, he'll actually show us this is actually what is going to bring more fulfillment to your life. No, no, you understand it's going to be this. And God says, no, no, trust me. You'll, you'll, you'll know joy and fulfillment when you go down this path. And that's what living in, in that moment of or. I see something nice. Am I going to turn towards God and say, God, is this something you want me to have? Or am I going to turn this way and begin to say, man, I want this for myself. I'm going to do whatever it takes, and I'm never going to be satisfied. In our relationship, it's all about openness and trust. And God is saying, open your life to me. Trust me in these things. So I would say learn to trust God. Learn to trust God. I would say that's the starting point for all of us. Some of us are in this room today, and um, you're trying to get through life, and life is hard, it's difficult. Maybe the choices you're making are like some of the stories I've talked about. You're just living in a land that doesn't bring satisfaction. You're not satisfied because you're always wanting more. And I would say it always has to come back to this point where we say, God, I'm going to trust you. Would you lead me? Would you lead me in this life? And today there's some people that, that are here, and you want to leave this tent And you want to begin to walk in this tent. And it takes an intentional life to say, God, help me to know what I need. Help me to know that I'm going to trust you with all things when I get to this place. The Bible says that um, the the root of the root of all of all coveting, uh, we get when you boil it down, it's really selfishness. It's I want for myself. I don't care about others. I want for myself. This is the story Jesus told about the rich, the rich man who wanted to build bigger barns. He didn't care about anybody else but himself. This tent always leads us to self. Me, 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 me. And God is saying, there's something bigger than that. And I will take care of you. And he does. He satisfies. He takes care. But we begin to see that life is so much bigger. And God is saying, but it takes a point where we say, God, I'm going to put down my selfishness. I'm going to become selfless. I'm going to humble myself and say, I need your, your help. So today, some of you in this room, you need to surrender your life. You need to get out of this tent. You need to stop striving for everything that, that you don't have. And you begin to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you everything I have. And selfishness, it leads to other sins. Coveting, it leads to all kinds of other sins if we're not careful. And God is saying, would you trust me in this journey? And some of us in this room, we've stepped out of bounds. We've stepped into desires that are unhealthy. We've been across lines that are unhealthy. The Bible calls sin, missing God's best for our life, missing the mark. And today you need to say, God, forgive me of that. Help me to trust you for what's better. And the Bible says that whenever we humble ourselves and say, God, forgive me of my sin and my poor choices, God always responds with forgiveness and grace because he can work with somebody that's humble. He can work with somebody that's honest. But it takes you to say, that's me. I need help. I want to move in a better direction. I want to learn to trust God. So do me a favor. Close your eyes and uh, bow your heads today as we wrap up service. If that's you today and you're here and you say, and I'm, I'm willing to admit that I've been in the land that is not healthy, not good, but today I want to come to God. I want to surrender my life. I want to turn from all the things I've been doing that are leading to, to unhealthy decisions, unhealthy choices, unhealthy relationships, unhealthy addictions. I want to leave that land. I want to begin to move into a land that, that God has satisfaction and, and pleasure and fulfillment. If that's you today, and you would say, I'm here today, and I want, I want to make a change. The Bible calls it repentance. We leave what's not working and we turn to God to what does work and we don't go back if that's you today would you let me know you're here by just raising your hand I'm not going to make you come to the front I'm going to just lead you in a prayer in your chair there I see a lot of hands awesome they could be honest know as you raise the hand God is looking down saying I see it my son my daughter I care for you I have good plans for your life 
Anybody else here say, that's me? I want to learn to live in the land of contentment. I want to learn to trust God in all things. I want to give my life. Awesome. For all of you that raise your hand, I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer, just saying, God, I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to know you. Help me to put my trust in you. If you're a Christian, would you uh, pray this prayer with me as they're praying, so not praying alone. If you raise your hand and say this, say, Father God, today I admit that I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my poor choices. Help me to choose your way. God, I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place on that cross so I could be free, so I could really live. Today, I put my trust in you. I invite you into my life. Lead me. Be my God. Be my leader. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate those that praise that prayer. So good.